I'm Pooja Disha Bharwani, founder and chief storyteller at What's the Story, a boutique communications consultancy based in Singapore. I love hearing, telling, and writing stories for individuals and businesses. And my name is Kevin McSpadden. I'm the editor at E27. We are a media company covering startups and what they are up to in Southeast Asia. On the story of you, we want to offer a human and real conversation on how people succeed and overcome difficulties in the 21st century. Technology has changed the way we work and the ability for us to do things. In this podcast, we bring you stories from successful individuals in Asia in a dynamic, engaging, and thought-provoking way. Welcome to episode 8 of The Story of You. Today we have with us Neha Shri, the co-founder of Jumper, an AI-enabled software that helps businesses connect to consumers on social media platforms to purchase products. Welcome to the show, Neha. Hi, Pooja. Thank you for having me here. Can we start by talking about how Jumper works and, you know, walk us through the process? Sure. So, so what Jumper does is Jumper converts your social media posts into a shoppable post so that when customers comment on your post, say with some simple queries like what's the price or, you know, do I, how do I order this? Do you do cash, cash on delivery? Jumper would automatically message them and talk to your customers on your behalf and walk them through the sale right within the platform. So they don't need to go to a website or an app, but can finish the transaction in less than a minute on the social media platform itself. And this is driven by a bot, right? Not a person sitting behind the computer talking yes, to them? Yes, yes. So it's a combination of marketing automation and a chatbot, uh, which which answers you know customers' queries and then walks them through the sale and payments instantly right there. So when, as a customer, I'll respond to or I'll ask the question of a comment and then at what stage, like how many steps does it take and, as opposed to going directly to the website? Right. So, so, so the steps are very simple. Let's say, you know, you comment or, you know, you could just even scan a QR, for example, right? And as soon as you do that, it identifies intent. That's it. You, and it, will, it will answer your query. Let's say, okay, the price is $20 and ask you like, do you want to buy or do you want to know more? You say you do that. And then within, within it's, it's just a simple step. You select the variation, select how much quantity you want, and then you pay. So, and especially when you're paying or like, you know, things like your address, it's just like a one touch of a button. So you don't need to fill that, those forms again and again. We're talking about the checkout process. So can you tell me in terms of, you know, putting in sensitive credit card data of the consumer, where does that go and how do you ensure that it's secure? Sure. So all credit card data or financial data that is there, we don't store it, nor do the merchants ever store it. It's it's tokenized with the payment gateways. So tokenization is an encryption method, which which is like created by companies like Visa. So any data that is there, it's it's securely encrypted and sent back to the payment processor. And they, they store that data, they keep that data, they ensure the protection of that data. So neither us nor any other social media platform or any third party agency or any merchant can ever get access to that data. I think what I'm having a hard time understanding is what the consumer experiences. Mm-hmm. I go on Instagram, I see a jacket I like and I say, I want to buy this. And then what? So, so you, you say, I want to buy this. And what Jumper would do is it will instantly message you from the brand. Within right. within the Instagram, like uh, am I still in Instagram? No, so so because Instagram's messaging is not as refined, so you'll, you'll most probably get a message on Messenger. Okay. Okay. Right, or or if it's Line, so so uh, so buyers can connect, you know, different social media accounts together. So vertically, they can do on like Facebook, Instagram, and then on the messaging side, they can have like Line or a Webbot or iMessage. Hmm. So when they comment on Instagram, they would instantly get a message on say Facebook Messenger. 
And then they can, you know, if they have asked a question, that gets replied to. And then they can select the variations, the sizes, the colors, you know, add, you know select their address and check out right there. So the entire process of purchase is taking place within largely Facebook Messenger here. So we have Facebook Messenger. We also have a web board. So, you know, if it's a link, if, if somebody shares a link, the web board gets triggered from there. So it really depends on the merchants, how they, how they want it. And the communication yeah. is that the receiving, like the consumer sees the message from Jumper or from the brand? From the brand. So it's just a software that is, is, yes, is, yes. is integrated so, so, into the system. Yes, yes. Okay. So we, we, we are like an invisible commerce enabler. How, how do you guys make money? So we've actually, we've, we're coming out with a very interesting pricing model now. We're sort of changing our kind of model into this. So merchants can choose either to pay us a transaction, a percentage fee per success which is like a 1.5% per success. Mm. Or they can choose to go away with like a percentage fee and pay us a monthly monthly subscription fee based on the volume of sales. So if they think that they're going to sell way more, they would take the subscription because then the, yeah. Okay, yeah. the 1% would yeah. make less. Uh, yes. Okay, I see how that would work. Instagram, Facebook are kind of famous for the micro, small, medium enterprise, which is basically one person selling something via yes. Instagram. Do yes. you guys have those people on using Jumper? Like yes. the, the, the mom and... Literally the mom and pops. And the SMEs, like yeah. the smaller... Yeah, so so we have like a lot of individual and proprietary sellers who, who are like, you know, either a one-man team or probably like have less than five people in the team. We have like a lot of internet marketeers and influencers using the platform. Mm. So, you know, it makes it easy, right? Because otherwise they would have to manually answer to each comment, you know, each uh, each customer DM that comes in. Now they can just simply automate the entire process and also keep a track of how many orders happened or, you know, how many how many dispatches they do, do they need to do. Okay. And then with all this, you know, recent changes in algorithms and Facebook, yeah. how does that affect marketing on Facebook? Because now, you know, they're not giving priority to brands, but yeah. to individuals. Um, so obviously marketing on Facebook has changed. I think one of the things that I've seen with Facebook is if you're engaged with the page, it will give you priority over, you know, over certain pages. So like my, on my own feed, I interact and I, you know, follow very aggressively a lot of pages whose links I'll create, you know, I'll click or comment on and they come in my feed more. So I think what the algorithm is more, more towards, you know, pushing, pushing pages and groups, customers are actually putting their time, right? Instead of people using like clickbait. So I think it's, it's overall in a good direction. You know, it, it does not, earlier people will have like, you know, comment, you know, just comment clickbaits to, to get people to, you know, use the platform. And now it's more towards, you know, if there's an actual intent. So I think it overall helps businesses when, you know, when positive intent is seen instead of just, just a random comment. Okay. And Nia, you've done a fair bit tech industry and you recently made it to the list of the Forbes under 30. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about, you know, some highlights in your journey and even some challenges that you faced? Sure. So, so I started entrepreneurship, like, you know, back in my college and then this is like my sixth company and it's been a set of failures, three failed companies. We had like one okay to do agency and then one success and now Jumper. So I think the most of the learning came from the failures. We, we bootstrapped a company for like two years, I think. I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. I want to know the mistakes you made and what you learned from a moving on with Jumper. Because if you failed, yeah. you obviously learned something, maybe some details. So in terms of the learnings, I think one was in terms of, you know, uh, team and people. Because we, we once had a time when we had like 17 people and then the next day, it was like five 
so that was like <laughs> extremely extremely scary so i think we we had like a lot of learnings in terms of like you know how do you how do you really build up a vision for your product and what do you need to do you know in terms of your business and your product to to keep your team you know more than just motivated for them to believe in the product i think that was one key learning that that came from there the other was also in terms of like you know how do you when, when you think about the product right what do you go ahead and you build right how do you how do you assess what to what to build right uh, to understand what your consumers want to really go and take feedbacks from the market and and do that on a more constant basis especially when you're in your initial stages because as entrepreneurs you know we we tend to start thinking that you know what we're doing is right Mm. but but a lot of times the market is is speaking is telling you a different thing right so so what we i think the big, one of the biggest learnings was this that you know we uh when when doing jumper we we from the very beginning initiated like you know from from the time this idea came in we we kept we kept on going back to our customers you know going back to our partners and understanding what did they want what did the ecosystem want and and try to build that back into the platform was it hard convincing people what jumper was trying to do with on social media you're basically social selling yeah it, it seems yeah. like that would be the hardest part is the education actually that's quite the opposite so for us because so you know the, there was this like e-commerce and then you know people were talking about mobile commerce but in asia people have already moved on to social commerce so anybody who is already using social media to you know as as a major acquisition channel they just get the get the utility of the platform so for us whether it be enterprise clients or or it be SaaS companies i think we we do have a set of early adopters who who instantly get what the product is and what the value add is for it what countries are your leading countries so right now for us on the on the SaaS side it's primarily US and Europe more over like UK US and UK are the top two countries for us and then on the enterprise side because we are in Singapore so enterprises majorly southeast asia okay uh, i'm surprised i was thinking maybe like cuz in my head the social media selling i think bangladesh so I was thinking It's actually Asia. Thailand, Thailand as well. Yeah. Uh, I think and that's why I said like for the brand side, I mean SEA is like the major market for us. Mm-hmm. On the on the SMB side, you know, like building a SaaS product for for Asia like you know, markets like Southeast Asia, India, it's very difficult because, you know, uh they have a very different they, they are more of like late adopters and they have a different, mm-hmm. you know, set of expectations when it comes to the product and it's it's just that at this moment like you know you can only give x amount support so you know smbs in in asia require like probably 10 times more support than you would require for for an smb in in the us okay right so so it more like we have a lot of customers in these these regions as well but like you asked me the top markets so yeah. for us the top markets right now and because we've not done much marketing especially on the saas side of it so most of our you know most of our current user base is organic organically acquired and that we've definitely seen you know the even the community effect to be much more higher in the in the US and UK can you give me some specific insights and trends that you know you say you always are trying to make your product serve your consumers so what sort of insights have you got since starting jumper about specifically the southeast asian market so in terms of i mean b2b insights mm-hmm. so one of the insights is right when it comes to what we see is whether it's smbs or enterprises they they require equal amount of like you know support just even from you know setting up the product to be able to you know customize it or in terms of you know how do they really do successful campaigns i think the the requirements are more the same today you know smbs require as much of personalized you know personalization as as a brand would request you know they they want as quick turnaround times as they would as as a brand would require so we we sort of cater that through you know through our live web chat so you know we we almost have like a 10 minute response time on that so you know we okay. we give like 
constant instant support there i think that's one key when it comes to especially saas businesses is is your support can become a very strong competitive advantage you know if if you give that if you do that properly so you're in a way you've combined support as well as uh, you know a platform to purchase yes but in terms of the percentages and statistics mm-hmm. of uh, the number of people that can that complete a sale directly from a website versus social selling yeah. what what's the division? so so in an asia on an average 30% of the digital sales happen through social media and these are like published reports from you know from from the more like multiple companies in singapore alone there are about like in a month about 1 million uh, worth of uh, singapore dollars worth of transactions that just happens in asia you know, 1 million no, in, 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 in singapore, singapore alone. just singapore alone there are like 100000 uh, you know small peer to peer sellers mm-hmm. and this is just the peer to peer sellers who who do their transactions through facebook and you know instagram and and they're doing like a 1 million worth of sales every month yeah for lifestyle businesses it seems like Instagram is the place to market yeah, and yeah. and that's how they Yeah. Um, and even like Facebook like I I see a lot of B2B businesses selling their products on Facebook. And and more than LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn is, you know, LinkedIn people are talking a lot about thought leadership, but actually these sales are happening on Facebook. Okay. Is there any concern that Facebook could start a marketplace and bully you out? I mean, they have <laughs> one in the US, they just haven't it hasn't really taken off there so they haven't moved it beyond yeah so so the thing about social commerce is right is just it it has different legs to it right one is the content the other is discovery so obviously the you know models of like a facebook marketplace helps in the discovery right it's much more easier to discover but then there's a huge piece about communication because the reason why people go to social media is they want a personal connect with the brand right they want more instant replies from the brand which they do not get on a website so even if facebook were to add you know like a marketplace where you know you can go and upload products or you know just choose products people will start, still want to do that uh, you know that's part of communication in their purchase journey mm. and that's where we help so so we do not see it as as a threat but more as as an opportunity wherein you know we we can fit in very hand in glove with with facebook and then the second part is you know there's i mean when you talk about commerce it's just not about a marketplace there's still payments involved to it there's still like you know a seamlessness involved to it and and those are those are the chunks that we we cater to right now itself and i tried to predict that education was going to be your biggest hurdle what has actually been your biggest hurdle so i i would say our biggest hurdle has been you know more more from a from a startup side wherein you know being being a startup we are still trying to do a lot of things at the same time and we have too limited resources to cater to it so you know so the amount of services and offerings that we can give mm. to to our customers and you know uh, to to match with par at par with their expectations i think that's that's where we see like right now i would say is 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 sort of the biggest hurdle we have the same problem at e27 we get a lot of frustration inbound cuz i think they imagine us as like the straits times or something where we have like four floors <laughs> yeah. in the building and then we tell them we're like no there's only like two of us in singapore and they're like oh okay sorry i'll wait so yes the yeah. managing the expectations yeah, startup so, culture yeah, yeah. so and, and the thing is like you know people's expectations because there's so many products out there and every and especially people who like you know who like to go out and the early adopters they really want to see results instantly mm-hmm. right they they want like a good support they want you know like more and more features you know just to like you know instead of using 10 platforms if they can do it on one platform they are happy with it so i think our our, our main challenge is in terms of you know being able to deliver at that speed of the expectations mm-hmm. and let's go into speaking of challenges and especially uh, as a woman in deep tech yeah. like can you tell us about some experiences you've had have there been instances where 
you know, as a woman, you've felt that you need to, you know, prove yourself a bit more and show people that you know your stuff. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> think about. Oh, but I think that's that sort of thing that you know uh, that, that imposter, you know, that imposter syndrome. I think so. Uh, yeah, I feel that that's that's pretty much there. Like you know, just because we we as women tend to be more soft nature and not as pushy. I think sometimes you know when we say something and, or try to emphasize on a point, we probably have to repeat it like ten times for <laughs> for for that to really go through in the head. So I think. Yeah, I, I, in fact, like, you know, people people talk about a lot of other challenges that women face, but, you know, individually, I think I would say that is the one, right, where, you know, where, and I think it's, it's, it's a two-way street, right? We tend to undermine ourselves in the way that, you know, we do not want to take credit too soon, too fast, and then, you know, so I think it's, it's a two-way street. We do not ask for it in the initial bit, and then later on when, you know, when, when we're actually delivering to it and it doesn't come, it, it just gets... I think women down. are just a lot more critical of, of yeah, themselves yeah. and for... You know, we're not the first to be like, I can do this, I have this job and I've got the expertise. It's just not in our, it's not in the way we operate. I yeah, like. yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, it's just because we do not take upfront ownership. So when we take it, it's, it's, it's a bit difficult for, you know, for, for others to, to easily digest that. Yeah. And what, would, what advice would you give to women, you know, starting out wanting to do? Because, you know, like you said, your failures were the biggest yeah. lessons. Yeah. And it, it can be really discouraging, you know, when you're an entrepreneur on your own, you're trying to prove yourself. Like, you know, what advice would you give them? Because at times it's like, we had, why don't I just go, go and get a job? It'll just be so much easier. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think I faced a lot of this, like... The first four years, my dad kept on saying, like, why did you leave your corporate job? Like, why did you leave? Like, you know, he would, from from everywhere, like, he would get that portion and he would say that. I think it's, it's just great. If you know and what you want to do and why you're doing it, just stick to it. Because if you stick, no matter what you're doing, if you stick long enough, you will figure your way out and you will, you know, you will sort of overcome those those barriers or those challenges that be you know on your own or you know imposed by others you just be able to overcome that grit that is a trait that a lot of us uh, aspire to have and i think it's essential for any entrepreneur to succeed in the 21st century i think so i think it's, it's always been there i think grit is is is, is what's what's you know like what's made most of the innovation happen uh, you know for for the entire humankind <laughs> Where do you see social e-commerce, especially in Asia, heading in the next year? Is it going to increase from that 30% number? Yeah, so it's it's definitely going to, you know, going to increase many fold times because while earlier it was just, you know, just the small, small sellers and the proprietors were uh, mom and pops who were doing this. Now more and more bigger brands are coming onto it, right? They are, they are realizing the potential of it. And, and with, you know, messaging automations coming in, like, you know, messenger chatbots, you know, different kinds of uh, commerce automations coming in, I think it's going to make it much more easy and scalable for for more established you know SMBs or medium-sized businesses or even like multinational brands to hop onto it so we'll definitely in the you know in the next couple of years we'll see a extreme increase in in terms of you know social commerce you know commerce happening through Instagram through Facebook Twitter you know YouTube all these platforms it's just gonna go more how are Instagram influencers affecting the industry? So, so definitely, they 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 call the shots, right? The influencers literally call it's it's like commerce on Instagram. I think it, it started with influencers, and and now like you know more and more micro influencers are being born. 
mm. uh, you know, taking inspiration from from more of the success stories. And I think like every every other day, you know, the Facebook groups that I follow, I see like at least ten new and you know influencers going out there. Like you know, <laughs> hey, I'm just starting out, and so I think and and more and more people, right? Like even as as we we are also building towards building our own personalities, like a brand, you know, a personal branding. And and that that's going generic as well. So I think we'll have a lot more influencers and micro influencers coming in. So you were Forbes thirty under thirty, and I've always been kind of curious on how that impacts people afterwards because we get the the congratulations and the my Facebook explodes and people have nice pictures of themselves everywhere. <laughs> but then afterwards, I'm not quite sure what goes on. Is it does it is jumper taking off now because of it, or or are you moving away from it? So I think like the this the answer to this would be very individual, you know. Uh, it may differ from person to person. So yes, the first day was like too overwhelming, but I think what what it gave me, what the kind of impact it gave me is that it it made me realize the you know the kind of impact or you know the the responsibility that I have, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know when when you get covered or you know when you get recognition, I think that comes along with the responsibility to to pay back in terms of whether it's like you know just spreading awareness about about something that you care about or you know just doing better at your business because in the end if you know if if i'm not able to accomplish what i aim to i think it it does not matter in the hand side so for me it it helped me focus more and mm. you know internally uh, reassess what my goals were and where do i really where do i really want to go in the next one year in the next five years so in a way it made you it gave you more responsibility it made you feel like okay i need to really prove my worth of this title <laughs> not just no not, not prove my worth but like i need to do more okay right uh, okay. those are two two different things right I, i cannot be content and you know be happy in a happy zone about this okay but i i need to actually go there and do more and actually create like a big impact so okay. on the doing more side what do you hope to see not just jumper but singapore startups in the next one to five years so i think like in terms of uh, singapore right singapore is like is is one of the best uh, places especially in asia to have a startup community is 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 uh, very supportive uh, so i think like overall in in terms of uh, singapore startup we'll see we'll see a lot of some some major companies and you know global changes happening from singapore you know some probably some really global companies coming out Neha, thank you so much for joining us today and for the great advice for aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, especially young women. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here, Pooja and Kevin.